often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. Hey, sis, how you doing? I really hope that this week is going well. Me, I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. So I've been guiding my oldest through virtual school this year, and yo, first grade is kicking my behind. (laughs) And it's not the classwork. It's the constant moaning, the complaining, the tantrums, the need for constant redirection, the logging off of Zoom classes early, the opened YouTube browsers while they shouldn't be opened, and oh, I am tired. June just can't get here soon enough. And if you've been guiding your little one through virtual school, I know you feel me, and I am lifting you in prayer because, whew, this is a lot. (laughs) And to those of you who have voluntarily homeschooled your children before this pandemic, mm, you are a super woman, a a hero in my book. Hats off to you. (laughs) So on my radar this week is something slightly different. It is a scholarship for Black women who are interested in using their skills and experience to create a consulting firm or launch their entrepreneurial journeys. The accelerator is called From 9 to 5 to Consultant. And it was created in honor of Women's History Month. The CEO slash the founder is giving a scholarship um, to an accelerator for a hundred black women. Why I'm mentioning this on a wellness podcast? Well, in some models, there are eight dimensions of wellness, three of which somehow intersect with the means by which you pay our bills. They are financial, occupational, and intellectual. So if we are unfulfilled in any of these, our overall wellness is impacted. With that said, I've shared a direct link to the application in the episode description below. And if you are interested in taking what you know and creating a new career for yourself, I highly encourage you to apply. It's free and the application closes on March 31st, 2021. So please do not hesitate to apply. That is all I have today for On My Radar. This is something that is really, really near and dear to me because is the most educated group in the country, yet we are often unemployed or underemployed. So this is a great opportunity for us to really, really get our financial wellness together, as well as the other parts, our occupational and intellectual. So a firm believer that if we are happy doing what we do to feed ourselves, that that plays a huge role in our overall well-being. So for today's episode, I want you to grab a journal, girl, because listen, as I re-listened to this episode, I picked up so many things I had missed while I was talking to her in real time. I already know that this is going to be an episode that you'll listen to at least a few more times because she shared so much valuable insight on anxiety, self-love, self-compassion slash forgiveness, self-acceptance, intergenerational trauma, and just this journey that we call life. And even as I list out some of the things that we touched on, I'm still amazed at how much knowledge she shared in such a short amount of time. Just about every sentence that she said was so deeply meaningful. And while this conversation doesn't replace therapy, baby is a damn good start. 
So the brilliant woman that I had the honor of speaking to is Megan Watson. She is a registered psychotherapist and the founder and owner of Bloom Psychology and Wellness, which is a therapy practice based in Toronto. In her everyday work, she focuses on education and support for individuals experiencing struggles with understanding their emotions, managing stress, and establishing healthy relationships. She received her master's in mental health counseling and behavioral medicine at Boston University School of Medicine and has experienced working working in multiple clinical levels of care. Outside of therapy, Megan is also a writer, consultant, and content creator. She runs an Instagram account called at thrive underscore with Meg, where she shares reflections, skills, and tools on how to manage difficult feelings, set boundaries, and exercise mindful self-compassion through a body liberation and self-acceptance lens. I am so honored that she accepted the invitation to speak with me and share her insights on self-love. So without further ado, let's hop into the conversation. Thanks so much for joining. I'm so glad you're here. Be well, sis. So today I have Megan Watson. She is a therapist. She is so many things. Um, I found her on Instagram and your posts just always just speak to me. I feel like you have like a camera in your, in my house and you can like <laughs> see what I'm going through and then you make a post about it. I'm just like, how does she know? How? Then like Because I'm moment, writing too. about me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, eerie how right on time you are your posts are I'm just like oh I needed this or it's like oh girl yeah that that that's you that's you right (laughs) so thank you for all you do (laughs) my pleasure I love posting it's like a labor of love and let me tell you you're good at it too like visually it looks good but it's like so action like information packed in like a little Instagram frame and it's like amazing because I try to like put information into my images and I just can't do it. Like that's an, an art and a gift. <laughs> thank you, you thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Of course. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. I feel like that is my standard answer right now. All right. Okay. Well, fine. Good. Am I good? Jury's out on that one. Am I all right? Solidly so. Probably. Yeah. 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 I was thinking earlier, I'm like, you know, when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to be honest and be like, you know, I'm very anxious right now. How are you? (laughs) Might be a little awkward, but um, hey, (laughs) because I don't know. Do you have anxiety too? I feel like I love when other people share that they have anxiety. It makes me feel less alone. Oh, girl, you're in good company. I very much so have anxiety. And I honestly just put a name to it this summer. Mm. Um. I saw a new therapist and she told me, oh, you have anxiety, this, that, and other. I'm just like, oh, is that what that is? She's <laughs> like, what you've described is textbook. I'm like, yeah, yes. So yes, I have anxiety. Um, the anxiety then pulls in its friend depression. So it's just been- it's, Never it's been without time. each other. Right. And it's like, please go away. <laughs> Nobody invited either of you to this gathering. You're not welcome. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I totally relate. I feel like I'm always self-conscious about having anxiety and having had depressive episodes in the past because I feel like most people expect therapists to always be okay. It's weird to be the place where people are looking for answers. And I'm looking at my clients sometimes and I'm like, 
wait, do you know? <laughs> do, do I know? Wait, hold on. Who? Hold on a minute. And it's sometimes a very honest moment, especially in this pandemic when everybody is really vulnerable. And I just sometimes feel like I don't even know what to say. But yeah, here we are. Yeah. And and I my heart goes out to therapists. Um, I think even in quote under normal circumstances, it's a lot to sit there and take in and process somebody else's very real feelings and experiences and then magnify that to the tenth power where we're all going through like a really shared experience of like we're essentially all grieving something, mm-hmm. you know. That's a lot. Like when you're going through your own stuff to then have to show up for somebody else and hats off to therapists. Truly. I appreciate that. Sometimes you be wiping the tears away before those sessions come on. Sometimes you're grateful for a phone session because you're like, I am just looking raggedy and not ready to do life today. So an extra hour just gives you that time. It's hard, but I am freakishly good at compartmentalizing. So that helps. (laughs) So today I wanted to talk about self-love and, um, what that all means. And, Mm. you know, we talk about it a lot, but I don't know if a lot of us know what it really means to like truly love and accept ourselves, especially if we come from environments where we weren't taught love or shown love, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So to begin, like, what does self-love look like in your opinion? That's a great question. I think it looks like dedicated nurturing. That's like the short answer. The long answer is that, you know, it's an active practice of acceptance, caring, encouraging, and nurturing and growing yourself. I think Mm -hmm. we think about the times in which maybe we've felt love or we've seen love whether that's in media, whether that's in our loved ones or in our family members and friends. And when you love something, it grows. And so self-love is that way of turning towards yourself. It's turning inward. It's nurturing that thing so that you can grow, so that you can be who you are, who you want to be. And sometimes just, you know, exist where you are because self, self-love for me is also self-compassion. Mm, yeah. The compassion piece and the acceptance piece are tough. I, I think if I'm honest with, with you and with myself, I am more compassionate towards others than I am with myself. Mm-hmm. But if you tell mm-hmm. me you're going through something, I can completely see where you're coming from and I can encourage you to like, no, it was a mistake or whatever, just to encourage you, right? But I can do the same thing that you talk to me about and I'm just beating myself up the self-compassion is is tough. And one thing that I learned in therapy is that my inner voice is just so mean. Yep. When I talk to myself, I would never talk to anybody, like not even my worst enemy, the way I talk to myself. And I think it takes a, a lot of work to realize it and then try to like counter that. Um, I think what's interesting about that and what people generally come to therapy to get help with is how do I be nicer to myself? How do I get rid of that inner critic? How do I 
soothe my brain that feels like it's on fire. And I have bad news for a lot of people with anxiety. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it doesn't, there's no solve. <laughs> and I, I hear myself when I say that it sounds awful. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel very hopeful if that was the answer that was given to me, but there is a caveat. There might not be a solve for this, but I think it's, a reframing of the idea that you are something to be solved, that you are something to be neatly packed away, that there is always certainty with life, that there is no kind of messiness about this process. And if you are struggling with self-compassion, know that it is our life's burden to struggle with self-compassion, in my opinion. I feel like we are probably constantly negotiating with ourselves in small and large ways about whether we are deserving, whether we are worthy, whether we can take rest, whether we can push forward, how productive we are. Our lives are so tied to our means of work and our work production. That's, you know, the name of this capitalism game. But I think in, in many ways, self-compassion has evolved as a way to soothe some of the the boxed in feelings you might have when it comes to work and life and feeling like you always have to be doing or existing or being in an optimized version of self. So self-compassion isn't like a place that you get to. It's a journey that you're always going to be on. And maybe I should start with that instead of saying it's not going to be solved. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it, I, I, I really do like to let people know like the real truth about what this journey is going to look like, because even if you're in therapy or if you're out of therapy, you're going to be working on this for the rest of your life. And that should be um, something that you approach with mindfulness, with intention, with an open heart, because the more we look at self-growth as a burden, the less likely you are going to engage with it. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of want to go back to, you mentioned like how a lot of, and I'm paraphrasing, I might be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but how our self worth might be wrapped into what we produce because of the society that we live in. Yep. <laughs> One of the questions that I hate with a passion is when somebody first meets me or we meet each other and the first question is, what do you do? Oh. I have, since I was younger, since I was like in high school, I've always hid and I couldn't understand, like couldn't put words to like my feelings. And now I get it. Like, let's separate what we do from who we are. For me, I always think yep. if somebody's asking me like from their first get go, like, hey, I'm so-and-so, what do you do? For me, the question is, how can you benefit me? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a transaction already. Yes. Yes. Like there's no relationship. It's just, what can you do for me? I really relate to that. I think I saw something online the other day where someone was basically just suggesting that if you don't have the time, the space or the energy, don't ask people how they are because you should be asking that question with intention. And I think mm -hmm. the same goes for those meetings. Like, what do you do? 
should you be asking that question if you really are not interested in what that person does? Mm-hmm. If you want to know more about their daily routine, then maybe the question that we should be asking ourselves is, what does your day, what do your days look like? Mm-hmm. What do you love? What motivates you? Mm-hmm. I think those are great questions, but we're not socialized to ask them, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially not in greeting situations. Right. I mean, as a therapist, I feel like I get away with some of these deeper questions because mm-hmm. people expect them from me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if nobody knows what I do, then, you know, it's, it's a catch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to like self-love, I think one of the things that kind of get in the way of self-love are um self-judgment because we've made mistakes in the past and people hold on to those mistakes like they just it happened five years ago but they're still it's like it happened yesterday and they're like judging themselves all the time so mm-hmm. any tips on like releasing um the self-judgment or and just forgiving um ourselves for any past mistakes mm-hmm. well first thing I just kind of want to say that forgiveness, no matter whether it's self-forgiveness or forgiving other people, is an individual process first and a collective one second. And self-forgiveness is just that first part without needing to bring in other people. And I'll give you an example. So if I'm on the train and someone steps on my foot and I feel like there's lots of other space for them, like they, you know, they kind of stepped on my foot without being mindful. It's really painful. Maybe tears are springing to my eyes. And I make that decision, like, I'm going to forgive this person for that. Do we need to involve them in that process? Absolutely not. Forgiveness starts with us. We have to make the decision to release the hurt. I kind of wanted to share that because I think a lot of people assume that forgiveness is always this dynamic process and that self-forgiveness is a separate thing. It's actually the same process, except that one involves secondly introducing the forgiveness to another person. And then the other just means that you're stopping with yourself. And so to release and to let go of things that you want to forgive or things that you've done, you first need to recognize that You have to let go of being perfect. Perfectionism is the complete antithesis to self-forgiveness. Because if you can't let go of being perfect or showing up, again, as this fully optimized version of yourself, then you're never going to buy into the idea that you deserve absolution, that you deserve space. Because the belief is that you need to be perfect and that you should keep trying until you do. So forgiveness is essentially that constant attempt to become perfect, but hitting a wall because you can't go back. <laughs> and so it's, it's really, really hard. State and define clearly what it is that you need to actually release. What do you need to forgive? Because sometimes you might be holding on to not forgiving yourself because you feel like you're letting yourself off the hook for something. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a lesson in there that your mind or your subconscious wants you to state more clearly. Is there something that you need to take from this that you need to speak 
you need to say out loud, you need to hold yourself accountable to? Are you afraid of that? What comes up? And so that level of inquiry, of course, requires softness, tenderness, self-compassion. And so forgiving yourself is a part of self-love. It's a part of growth. It's a part of self-compassion because they all work together. And it's really hard to have one without the other. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard. Yeah. Ooh, so much there. Um, wow. Isn't she dope? So this episode definitely needs to be shared with a friend. So let's do this. Screenshot your phone while listening and tag BeWellSis underscore podcast as well as Thrive underscore with Meg on Instagram. And if we aren't friends on Instagram, let's be friends. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoy what you're hearing, don't forget to follow on your favorite podcast streaming site so that you're always alerted when a new episode airs, as well as leaving a five-star rating and a brief review. I appreciate you. And let's get back to the episode. Be well, sis. Sometimes asking ourselves those questions might bring up answers that are really, really uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know? And I think working towards forgiving ourselves, like it, it's uncomfortable. I guess all of it is uncomfortable is, is what I've <laughs> been learning. Yeah. I wish that we had more socio-emotional learning for kids around their body and discomfort because I didn't actually learn about this stuff until I became a therapist and I was a grown adult by that time. And I was just existing in my body, feeling discomfort, avoiding things and just working, you know, against myself constantly. The minute you start to realize that every single physical sensation you have can be, you know, connected to something, whether that is a stimulus, like, you know, the shirt is on your back and you can feel like your clothes, you know, maybe you feel like your earphones in your ear listening to this. All of these are active parts of our existence that we turn off because it is too overstimulating to keep those in our mind on an everyday basis. If you are trying to run a meeting and you're thinking about like how ear pods feel in your ear or how you know, <laughs> right. your, your shirts feel on your skin, like right. that's a lot and right. nobody has time for that. So I think sometimes recognizing that the physical discomfort that comes with experiencing and asking ourselves questions around self-forgiveness and self-love is because we're not used to tuning those out, you know, or maybe we've tuned them out for so long and now it's past a threshold in which we can no longer avoid them. So they require attunement. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. And interest in yourself beyond just self-improvement, but interest in yourself so that you can figure out who you are right now. Because Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you're a good person or a self-compassionate person, or you can forgive yourself or not, everything starts with acceptance of this moment. Nothing can change without acceptance of the present. And if that sounds like a really mindful and therapist thing to say it is, I know that. (laughs) Um, But I truly stand by it because I think the more you can almost stretch that muscle of awareness, the more you can start to 
recognize how uncomfortable it is at times to exist in a body that feels and has flesh and, you know, expands and stretches and moves and, you know, all of that becomes part of your life and Mm -hmm. how you address that is your journey. Yeah. And, And I'm happy you mentioned about being taught these things in childhood it's really hard to teach what you don't know yourself. You know, one of the reasons that I'm just like staying the course of this uncomfortable ass therapy thing is because I'm trying (laughs) my best to like raise kids who are whole and who know how to, I like who know themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. teach things that I have no idea. And I think, you know, a lot of people just don't know. I think now, People are more open to therapy and exploring themselves and getting to truly know themselves. But previous generations, it's just like, it's uncomfortable. We suppress it. That's how we do things in our family. And that's that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just Well, another- that's our um, intergenerational trauma transmission. Mm-hmm. I think we think about intergenerational trauma as sometimes just racial trauma, like the relics of slavery, the relics of discrimination and violence. And absolutely, that's a huge part of it, especially for Black folk. But intergenerational transmission can also be the ways that you recognize or understand how to be in your body. You know, how did you notice your parents doing that? Did they ever pay attention to rest? How did you notice their routines around wellness? Did they have wellness routines? You know, what are some of the things that you saw in relationships? All of this gets transmitted down through observation. All our mirror neurons are firing, Mm -hmm. just like those cells in the brain that record and see what's in our environment and ultimately copy them in our lives. So we don't even have awareness of some of these things as they're being transmitted to us and they're existing in our lives. Yeah. You just said uh, a lot. Yeah. So, so true. Um, And one other thing that I was thinking about as you were speaking earlier is um, taking time to get to know yourself. I grew up in a very Christian household and we were taught that in a way to get to know yourself is to be selfish and it's the opposite of being Christian. Um, Right. I think a lot of us are, are, have had a struggle with that because we don't want to be, we want to be selfless beings, not selfish beings. And just getting to know yourself and sitting in stillness and being invested in who you are as a person, right? Getting to know who you are as a person is looked upon as like the opposite of what you should be doing. So I think a lot of us grow up with these notions subconsciously, self-care in that sense is not right. Does that mm-hmm. make any sense? I'm not sure if I... No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I come from a long line of helping professionals, right? My parents are both physicians. My grandma was a nurse, a wartime nurse Ooh. in London. Wow. And my family members are like lawyers and people that just kind of are with people in their very vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. And so I consider it a lifelong family kind of tradition of being in the helping profession. And so much of what I saw growing up was that self-care was for people who didn't help. 
and self-care was for people who, you know, didn't have things to do. Mm-hmm. Self-care was the selfish, mm-hmm. frankly, white person's activity yes. that, you know, when people just have things when they are mm-hmm. beyond the, <laughs> beyond <laughs> what is like reality, people who engage in self-care are not living in reality, essentially, was the message that I got. And, you know, I think this echoes what you experience in some ways, like feeling like if you are not focusing on prayer, if you're not focusing on like being your most Christ-like self and developing a fear of God and praying and committing yourself to sermon and the word, then you're basically being selfish because that's what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true. Right. Because sometimes you need to be in yourself. You need to be in your body in order to be there for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the lessons that you teach your kids probably are lessons that you taught yourself or someone taught you. There's no way we can take people to places that we've never been. Yeah. And if we do, we're doing so inauthentically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, again, this talks, this connects to the ego a little bit. Like, what do we feel like we have control over in our lives? Do you have control over the fact that your body has needs, that you need to grow and nurture and be self-compassionate and focused to be your best version of yourself? Are we above that? Absolutely not. (laughs) I think, you know, we have to kind of temper that ego self a little bit and say, you know, I actually need this in order to be the person that I need to be for me to show up as a follower of Christ. I need to actually spend some time with myself to know what it is that I believe and what I care about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's a really hard practice. Yeah. Just constantly being on essentially to be mindful means to be constantly on and aware. And sometimes it's just easier to not you know, all the time it's easier to not. <laughs> it's easier um, to avoid every single time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not advocating that we have to always be like present and aware and, you know, like these, <laughs> these like spiritual mindful beings that are just constantly <laughs> just out there. But I think a commitment to returning to that is necessary for people because sometimes we put it away and we just never go back to it. Yeah. We never return to it. So it's not about avoidance. It's about the returning, the commitment. Mm, That's so beautifully said, the returning. I always like to close out with two questions. So the first one is um, if you had a book that you could recommend and it could be about anything at all, what would it be? This is so hard. (laughs) This is like the hardest thing anyone's ever asked me today. Let's see if there was a book that I could recommend anyone to read about anything at all. Mm -hmm. I would recommend the book that changed my life. Um, And it's by Bell Hooks. It's called From Margin to Center. Black feminist theory that absolutely changed my life. I am a different person after reading it. I read it at a particular time in my life. I probably read it when I was about 19. So 
it was a time where I felt so validated and I had never seen anybody write about black women and validate these like secret experiences with whiteness and white supremacy that I had never actually seen much less said out loud written anywhere. And so I would highly recommend that for anybody. It's essential reading. Um, Already I'm like, Megan, you could have chosen any other book. Like, (laughs) and now you chose this one. I'm sticking with it, but. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. I will link it down in the show notes. Yes. (laughs) Honestly, I couldn't even get through um, All About Love yet because every like paragraph, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I have not gotten through it. And it's not a a big book. It's just Mm -hmm. a lot. (laughs) Every line you read it and you're like, I need to sit on this. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of book that you read in one go, at least not in my experience. Yeah, I I started the summer and I'm still (laughs) not even halfway through. I got to do better. It's a reference on love. I would let's call it that. It's not. There we go. Right. You know, you can't. You kind of go back to it, come back, and then. right. <laughs> and then the other question is, what is something that's brought you joy in like the past few days? Hmm. Something that's brought me joy. I think. You know, this weekend I spent a little bit of time reflecting on myself. I feel like I've just been having a hard time recently. I've just, it's been harder getting up. It's nice to know that the days are getting longer, but it's just been really hard. And I've noticed my body just wanting to give up and to tap out. I know I'm not alone in that feeling, but I've just been enjoying so much a consistent and regular breakfast. Hmm. I feel like I eat the same thing every single day. It just saves me one more, one less decision I have to make. Uh I eat toast and eggs Mm -hmm. and I have a glass of mango juice. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll have like some grapes or like a banana or something. And to me, that just like makes me so happy because it's a routine. Mm -hmm. I like get my cup out. I'm like pouring my juice. First of all, mango juice is a must. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why would anybody live without it? Like, we could. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I, I hear you. I'm so happy that it's getting warmer because mangoes are about to be coming back in season. So right? I hear you. Yes. I am not like a huge fan of orange juice. Like maybe I'll get heat for this, but mango no. juice is superior. Orange Absolutely. Abs- like that's not debatable. Are you kidding? Orange juice is there because it's there. Like exactly. Anyway, that's just a heartburn inducing. Nobody wants orange juice. We just drink it because like there's no other option sometimes. That's exactly how I feel. I feel like if I could choose, I would choose mango or passion fruit any single day. Oh, passion fruit. fruit. Fancy, but yes, passion fruit is another one. <laughs> yes. You gotta go to the to the place where they have like the juices and the the containers that aren't frozen that aren't frozen or cold. So the the, the little rectangular air. juices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. Those yes, shelf yes, stable yes. juices, you know, yes. we don't have to get fancy with it. It's yes. just <laughs> <laughs> but I've just been finding so much joy. Like we've just spoken about mangoes for like three minutes, but that's how happy I feel when I have yeah. my breakfast. Cause sometimes it's 
you know, it's hard. You're making decisions constantly. Should I go to that Zoom meeting? Do I want to hang out with my friends online today? You know, what do I need to do for work? I need to do this. This bill needs to be paid. And sometimes I just don't want to make a single other decision. I am fatigued. So the first decision I make in my day is one that brings me joy and gives me a little bit of peace. I love that. <laughs> you are awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm, I always love when I speak to people and they're just as great as I imagine them to be. So thank you Aww. for being that. Cause <laughs> I, I don't want to be let down. You know, I like fall like in love with like your posts and like your thoughts and how you think. And I'm just like, Oh, I hope she's just as dope. And you are. So thank you for making you my entire mind. week. <laughs> thank you. I feel good. I feel real good now. Like I'm going to be on a high for the next. Like, I feel like you did not disappoint as well. In many ways, I see you as a thought leader, as someone who's driving the conversation in Black women's wellness. And I know that this space is so highly favored and necessary for many people. So if I can come on and be my dope self and you can be your dope self, then like, we just don't do it. It's just what it is. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.